0: Sketch 3 of Zora Boys at Home and Abroad or How to Succeed This is a LibriVox recording All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain For more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org Recording by Marianne Zora Boys at Home and Abroad or How to Succeed by William Alexander McKay Sketch 3 Professor Henry John Cody MA or HOW A ZORA BOY BECAME A COLLEGE PROFESSOR What George Howe, the lad was to drumtochti, Henry John Cody is to Zora, and no more proud were the drumtochtiites of George than the Zorites are of Henry John. They point to the brilliant scholar of the university, and the learned professor of Wycliffe College, Toronto, and assure the visitor that he is every inch of him a Zora boy. True, Henry John has some Sassanach blood in his veins, but he is of good Gaelic stock nevertheless and Although he is an episcopal and does not gang to the Kirk, this arises from too much affection for his mother's religion, and so the Celts of Zora love him none the less. H. J. Cody is the eldest son of Elijah Cody of Ambro, whose mother's maiden name was Johanna Sutherland and who was born in Gulby, Sutherlandshire. His mother's name was Margaret Louisa Torrance, a descendant from a good Dublin family and a member of the Church of England. He was born in Embro on December sixth, 1868. Among his early teachers were Hugh Morrison, now a barrister in Lucknow, and George Jameson, now Dr. Jameson, of Lone Rock, Wisconsin, U.S. Of these, Professor Cody says, two more accurate and helpful teachers it would be hard to find. I am sure that many of the boys received their first impulse toward a general love of literature and history from the suggestive and broad teaching of these men. These were the days of spelling matches, history matches, geography matches, and public school debates, when every library in the village, public and private, was ransacked for the desired information. The annual public examination with its recitations, prizes, etc., formed one of the great events of the year. All this was very stimulating to the keen, precocious mind of young Cody. New and improved methods of teaching were beginning to be introduced, although the rod was still in evidence, and there were many now happily defunct methods of exercising discipline. Being made to stand on one foot, or sit between two girls, or wear a fool's cap, were some of these. Perhaps the most memorable one was that called "sitting on nothing." You were against the wall, and had to put your foot out to a certain line, almost a foot and a half from the wall, and then put your back straight against the wall. The result was sitting on nothing, and the spectacle of half a dozen boys poised thus against the wall was ludicrous enough. The Annals of Embro informed the stranger that in 1880 the first group of scholars from the village school went up to Woodstock to write on the comparatively new entrance exam to the high school, that all the applicants were successful, and that for years the Embro School headed the county list, to the great pride of the villagers. Young Cody had a brilliant literary career. In 1881 he went to Gate Collegiate Institute, which he attended for four years, preparing for matriculation examination in the university. The holidays were, of course, spent at his home in Embro. In 1885 he matriculated into the University of Toronto with first-class honors in Classics, Mathematics, and Modern Languages, and winning four scholarships, the Classical, Modern Languages, Prince of Wales, and General Proficiency, perhaps as high honors as were ever won by any student on a similar occasion. His university career, thus auspiciously begun, was pursued with fidelity and marvelous success. He took to Latin and Greek like a duck takes to water. The records show that in the first year he won the Classical, Modern Language, and General Proficiency Scholarships, in the second year the General and Modern Languages Scholarships, the Medal for General Proficiency, and first-class honors in Logic, Metaphysics, and Ethics. And so on till the fourth or final year, when he swept the boards, coming out without a peer, having captured the McCall gold medal in classics, first-class honors in metaphysics, and the prize for best English essay, and other high honors. The like of it had never been known before, said a Zora man. His high attainments entitled him to a fellowship in classics at the university, but instead of taking it, he accepted the appointment of classical master in Bishop Ridley College, St. Catharines. After holding this post for some time, he returned to Toronto and completed his theological course at Wycliffe College. He was afterwards appointed to the chair of history in the college, where he is at present. He is also examiner in classics at the University of Toronto, as well as lecturer in Latin. Last autumn, he was appointed rector of St. Paul's Church, Toronto, one of the most important and beautiful Anglican places of worship in the city. Since his installation, the congregation has made wonderful progress, and recently a large addition was made to the church edifice to accommodate the increasing number of worshippers. At the dedication meeting, on April twenty-first, 1900, his lordship, the Bishop of Toronto, attributed a great deal of the success of the congregation to the unusual abilities, earnestness, and energy of character, and the great personal charm of manner, of Professor Cody. At the same meeting one of the leading laymen of Toronto described him as an able minister who presented the simple gospel truths, and who did not indulge in fantastic ceremonies or the presentation of strange doctrines. In April, 1900, he was selected as the representative of Wycliffe College to the great ecumenical missionary conference held in New York. Surely this son of Zora reflects no little credit on his native township. IT WILL BE INTERESTING TO TRACE SOME OF THE EARLY INFLUENCES WHICH HELPED MAKE PROFESSOR CODY THE MAN HE IS. BEING ASKED TO STATE THESE INFLUENCES, HE REPLIED AS FOLLOWS. 1. THE reverent OBSERVANCE OF THE LORD'S DAY. IN MY OWN EXPERIENCE THAT DAY WAS NEVER MADE DREARY OR OPPRESSIVE, BUT EVERYONE REALLY BELIEVED THAT THE LORD'S DAY HAD SOME DECIDED AUTHORITY AND COULD NOT LIGHTLY BE DISREGARDED. THAT FEELING LASTS AND DOES A MAN GOOD AS LONG AS HE LIVES. 2. The great amount of scripture memorized in those days. I am astonished when I recall what feats we accomplished in this respect. 3. The stimulating character of the general religious atmosphere of both village and township. Any boy who chose could have had the opportunity of hearing profound and earnest theological discussions carried on at all sorts of odd times. I remember on the occasion of the reunion of the professional men of Zora at the garden party held in the grounds of the late donald matheson hearing dr george duncan and the rev john ross of brucefield arguing ingenuously on the subject of election each had as he thought an impregnable position and remained in it fearing to sally forth lest he might be taken captive by his opponent dr duncan kept asking did not jesus taste death for every man and mr ross kept replying Jesus will have every man for whom he died. The theologian, at least, will appreciate the caution of the contestants. 4. The establishing of the public library at Embro, under the care of Captain Alexander Gordon, was one of the most helpful and stimulating influences of my early days. To that library I owe personally a great debt of gratitude. Here were carried on, almost nightly, the discussions, political, religious, literary, in which the genial captain, Dr. Ross, William Stewart, my father, if it were a political discussion, and others, displayed marvellous dexterity as well as great breadth of information. 5. The spirit of sturdy independence and reliance under God upon one's own persistent efforts could not fail to be helpful to any young man. Any success I have ever met with in life has been, by God's blessing, due to downright hard work. The general early training of Zora boys in plain living and a reasonable degree of high thinking made them self-reliant, resourceful, and determined to push forward. Some of my most amusing recollections of old Zora days are connected with political and other public meetings. Of course their political meetings were tremendously one-sided, as a solid phalanx of reform voters usually filled the hall but the few conservatives in Embro were all the more resolute and vigorous in their championship of John A. and his doings. There was a time, I think, when the only copy of the mail which came to Embro post-office was that which my father took. I cannot close without paying a warm tribute to the splendid influence, intellectual and moral, of the various clergymen who ministered in Embro in my time, the Reverend Gustavus Monroe, M. A., The Reverend John Salmon, M.A., and the Reverend E.D. Silcox. End of Sketch Three.